One of the questions that people wonder about, I think, especially as they think about our world and where it's at right now, is where in the world is all of this headed? Like when we look at our times and ask the question about the future, we wonder where we're all going. Here's one answer. This might surprise you. Right now, while we calmly sit here, the earth is rotating around the sun at a speed of 107,000 kilometers per hour. That's part of where we're going. In addition, our whole solar system, the sun and its planets, is rotating around the center of our galaxy at about 784,000 kilometers an hour. Now just think about that for a second. 784,000 kilometers an hour, that's the speed at which our solar system is rotating around the galaxy. But here's the staggering thing. The galaxies, and, and by the way, I learned my astronomy back in the dark ages. Okay? So... Some of you, I'm about to tell you something that you didn't know. This will blow you away if you're attentive at all to what I'm saying. Listen to this. This is incredible. The galaxies in our neighborhood, and you just imagine how big these things are, okay? Like our solar system is part of a galaxy that's monstrous, and there are billions of stars in these. The galaxies in our neighborhood are rushing at a speed of nearly 3.6 million kilometers per hour towards a structure that scientists are now calling the Great Attractor. A region of space roughly 150 million light years away from us. So in some sense, we're traveling at 3.6 million kilometers per hour towards something. And that means... That since light travels at about 9 trillion kilometers a year, in about this many kilometers, look at this, in about this many kilometers, we're going to reach that great attractor. It's sucking everything toward itself, and it's going to take us about 428 million years to get there. That's a 428 million years that the Toronto Maple Leafs are not going to win the Stanley Cup. And so if you're in Toronto, you think things are really, really out of control. You talk about hopeless. We are indeed on an unstoppable train. But I'm not sure... That's our biggest concern. In fact, because it's 480 million years from now that we're going to reach this dead end, that's not really on my mind. One of the reasons that people have so many doubts about God is because they see around them a world with a very questionable future. But it's not questionable because of that end that's coming. It's because we see only spotty reductions in the problems in our world and in our society. It's not the crash at the end that is worrying us. It's the ride on the way there that scares us. And yes, we see some progress in health issues with many diseases being eradicated, except, by the way, for cancer. I don't know if you ever noticed that. Cancer just seems to be that unstoppable beast. 
Yes, we see efforts made to hold up social equality as a virtue. So we see progress in some social issues where women are treated better. Racism and segregation are negatively viewed by virtually everybody these days. Those in the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual community are being treated better and certainly better by Christians. We're starting to respect them as human beings, as we should. It's a mistake when we don't love them as we should. We see some progress in that way. Yes, the world's far more aware of environmental issues than it was 50 years ago. We've made some progress there. And yes, people are aware of the hazards of behaviors like drunk driving and riding a bike without a helmet. The world has made some progress in these areas. But I would also say this. We see around us everywhere competing ideologies, none of which... None of which seem to have a satisfactory answer to the issues of poverty, crime, social unrest, or world hunger. And we certainly haven't made any real progress in terms of the cessation of war. And while globalization has has made us one big community, the tensions between the people in that one big community are not necessarily lessened. And certainly what's happened in the last 20 years as far as terrorism and all that's gone on has been frightening. It seems to be escalating. It's not a pleasant picture at all when we think of the world as a whole in terms of where it's functioning. And then you just think about how threatened we feel by that. Can you imagine living in Syria or living in Nigeria? Would you, if you ask somebody in Nigeria, how's it going? Do you think the world's in a better place every time Boko Haram kills 200 kids? They would say, no, this is not that good and as we talked about in the bible class a few weeks ago society in general has lost all trust in authorities leaders including governments political leaders law enforcement teachers certainly religious leaders and even their parents in fact i think that young people especially are collectively doubtful about their own futures and the future of the world At the same time, I think they want to feel a sense of optimism and hope. And they know that without hopefulness, their response to the things that they experience can't be as productive and beneficial for society as they would be if they had hope. It would be a better thing to have hope. But I think they struggle with that. And so we, including the millennial generation, are caught in a bit of a cycle from which we can't easily escape. The world needs help. But the people who have some real chance of helping things change are not in a frame of mind to bring about the things that change needs. Either because they're so subject to hopelessness or are so distracted by a host of attractions that the world keeps telling them that they should try as pacifiers or because the problems that need correction seem so big. And beyond our reach, maybe 480, 428 million years away. And the fact is we've opened Pandora's box and we're not going to get all this stuff back in. We'll not stop those things that keep coming. Do you remember the movie Jumanji? Remember that? You start to play a game and all of a sudden... The world is out of control. All of a sudden, elephants and rhinoceroses and baboons 
are running out of your wall through your living room and down the street, destroying everything in its path. And you can't do anything about it except keep playing the game. And that's what we have to keep doing. We have to keep playing the game. We have to keep hoping that somehow we're going to throw the dice and something's going to happen and things will suddenly begin to actually change. But as for now, when we're throwing the dice and it's not working, everything that we see is way too big for us to cope with. And so what are we going to do? And I think the result of all of this is a sense of meaninglessness. I think it's a sense of purposelessness. I think it's a sense of despondency. I think that many of the young... And some of us who are not so young don't have a sense of purpose or meaningfulness or hopefulness. And it's because things are so drastically out of control. And we don't feel like we can do much about it. We feel like we don't even have a chance. If we do have a chance, we'll roll the dice and probably some awful thing will happen instead of the good thing that we want. So there's no real hope and there's no purpose. Now, it's interesting, you know, people always criticize the current generation, the millennial generation. Those of you who are millennials, you you hear this. Those of us who are older look at the millennials and we say they're immature and they're irresponsible and they're lazy and they're not making any good decisions. But where would you be if you were 22 years old looking at the world that they have to look at. And so I would say they, rather than being criticized, and even more than just needing an encouraging word, what they need are possibilities. What they need are open doors. What they need is hope. What they need is a vision for how things could be. They need the possibility of a new future. And the fact is, that's what I need. I may not be 22 anymore, but it's not as though I can't see what's happening in the world. And it can be as causing of despondency in me as it can be in them. I need to know that there is some kind of new future that is available. And so we have this question before us can there be a new future can things be set right and of course you know what i'm going to say i absolutely think that this is where god enters the picture I do believe, I do think that Christianity is the hope of our world. Our young people are being told by just about everybody that the church is irrelevant, that the church can't change anything, that God seems to be doing nothing. And I beg to differ. I think it's exactly the opposite. So what I want to say today and point out today, and certainly in a way that I hope impacts the young, but also impacts everybody, I want to say that the claim of Christianity is that God has a plan. That we appear to be hurling through space at some incredible rate, absolutely out of control, and that all the while, 
God has his hand on his universe. And that he is controlling things. He is taking things in a direction. He may not be controlling every little move that I make. He's not going to control every decision that I make. Sometimes, excuse me, sometimes I make really bad decisions. But I do believe absolutely he's controlling the big picture. I think he is taking things in a direction. Read this text, and I know it's, it's a little small maybe. Oh, not up there it's not. Just here it's small. I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and be brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. It seems to me that describes perfectly our reality. It's not surprising to me that Paul could say those words and that they would absolutely nail it. Because he was a child of our world. Not necessarily of our age, but of all those things that represent every age. And I would say that God has a plan. And that he's taking us there. And that therefore, we ourselves are given meaning and purpose. I want you to listen to these words from N.T. Wright. If you don't know N.T. Wright, and you enjoy reading any Christian literature, I encourage you to get something from N.T. Wright and read it. Surprised by Hope is as good a place to start as any. And in Surprised by Hope, he says this. He says, the early Christians did not believe in progress. They did not think the world was getting better and better under its own steam or even under the steady influence of God. They knew God had to do something fresh to put it to rights. But neither did they believe the world was getting worse and worse and that their task was to escape it altogether. They were not dualists. Since most people who think about these things today tend toward one or other of the two points of view, it comes as something of a surprise to discover that the early Christians held a quite different view. They believed God was going to do for the whole cosmos what he had done for Jesus at Easter. The whole creation is actually on tiptoe with expectation, longing for the days when God's children are revealed, when their resurrection will herald new life for all of creation. When what happened to Jesus happens to all of Jesus' people. And I think he's right. His point is that Paul saw God doing something new. Bringing a new future. John's revelation in 21, in chapter 21 of that book, is of a new heaven and a new earth. John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared for a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. 
They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And I want to say to all of us this morning, young and old alike, this is the answer we're looking for. There was an historical man named Jesus who was more than a man. He brought a revelation from God himself. He brought it. He died. But then he rose to life again. And it's a great blessing that he does. In the process, he defeats death and everything that is death-like. He promised a new future, and we who believe share in this new future. And what's beautiful about it is that it's not just as Christians have sometimes thought in the past that we just we die here and we go to some place in the heavens and we float around in the clouds or some spiritual existence before God and all this is just washed away and left behind and we just get to go be with God. That's not what the Bible talks about. It talks about a new heaven and a new earth and the restoration that is going to come to us in Jesus Christ. A new thing that God is doing with all that we are and have and know. He's doing something drastic and radical and eternal. And it transcends a universe where the end might be 400 and, what I say, 28 million years away. He transcends all of that. And then he brings us into it. He allows us to work as part of this. So that I'm not just waiting for the day when I can die and go and be with heaven, uh, with God in heaven. I'm waiting for the day when I finally get my life oriented where it should be. And I start doing what he wants me to do here. And I'm working toward this future that he has planned for all of us. In Acts chapter 1. Verse 6, it says, Then they gathered around him, this is the apostles, looking at Jesus. And they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father set by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking up intently into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. And look at what they said. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into the heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. And I want to ask the question this morning, is it not the case that we just keep looking up into the sky? Isn't that part of the problem? We're looking for all kinds of answers, and all the while God is telling us that he's going to return in his direct presence and make all things new, and in the meantime, we have a role to play. Don't just look up into the sky. We have a role to play because the outcome of all of this is not just hopelessness. 
but hopefulness and ultimately action. We can be part of what God is doing. There can be real transformation in anticipation of what God is doing. Another quote from N.T. Wright. He says this, A proper grasp of the surprising future hope held out to us in Jesus Christ leads directly and to many people equally surprisingly to a vision of the present hope that is the basis of all Christian mission. To hope for a better future in the world for the poor, the sick, the lonely, the depressed, the slaves, the refugees, the hungry, and the homeless is not something else, something extra, something tacked on to the gospel as an afterthought. It's central. It's essential. It's vital and life-giving. The whole point of what Jesus was up to in his healings and everything else that he did was that he was doing close up in the present what he was promising to do in the long term, in the future. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sowing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, caring for the needy, loving your neighbors yourself will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it all behind. They are part of what he calls building up his kingdom. And the church that is renewed by the message of Jesus' resurrection must be the church that goes to work precisely in our world of space, time, and matter, and claims it in advance as the place of God's kingdom, of his lordship, of the power of the Spirit. And that's exactly right. Our spiritual vision is cut short. We're short-sighted when we can't see what God is doing and all the ways in which he's doing it. When we feed somebody in our church, we're doing the kingdom work, exactly what God wants us to do. If we give someone a coat and we clothe them at wintertime and make them warm, we are bringing the kingdom present into their lives. We're helping bring about what it is that God is doing. We have to do these things. It's kingdom work. There is no better work than these things. And so young people... And those of us others who can keep looking into the sky, we can if we want. Looking for answers, looking for things to change, looking for some source of goodness or rightness or love or action, hoping that that will be the answer. But the claim of Christianity is that God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ as a witness to what he is doing, not just in our world, but in all of creation. And what he is bringing about, this new thing. He's doing something new. He's doing something new. It's the very thing we hope for. God, come, do something new. And then he tells us that we can be part of it. We can ignore it if we want. We can refuse it if we want. We can disbelieve it if we want. We can think that it's just one of the marginal answers if we want. Or we can accept it 
And my opinion is that being a follower of Jesus Christ puts you on board with what God is doing in our world like absolutely nothing else. And so if you're looking for purpose, if you're looking for meaningfulness, if you're hoping that somehow your life will have meaning, get on board. God is doing a new thing. He asks us to join him. Our series on apologetics, I I hope it's been a blessing. It has been to me. I hope that somehow we can see that what God has done in Jesus is a truth to which we all need to cling if we're going to be with God in doing what it is that he's doing. I pray you join him. Let's pray. Lord, my hope is in you. I see no other alternative. Instead, what I do see is the ways in which you have worked in our world, primarily, most significantly, through Jesus of Nazareth, who became your revelation. Father, we pray that you would use the impact of Jesus in our lives to bring your kingdom's presence here. It comes in multifaceted, so many deep, profound ways. God, help us to be part of all of that. Help us to contribute to and participate in this new thing that you're doing as you completely change creation through the coming of Jesus. And Father, we look forward to that day. I I pray it soon. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I pray that it comes soon, that you would make your presence direct and that you would, in a dramatic and direct way, transform our world through your presence. In the meantime, God, help us to be your servants. Help us to to do our, our work, our job of doing your work in helping to transform our world. Oh God, we look forward to the day when you bring this to an end. But in the meantime, we're so grateful for what it is that you've done for us in Christ, making us part of this. Help us to embrace it. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen.